Hello and welcome back to Spooky Scary Science Club. I'm Liv. And I'm Mick. And today we're going to talk about the paranormal. Specifically, we want to talk about parapsychology, which is extrasensory perception, ghosts and the power of belief. The term extrasensory perception often involves telepathy, which is mind reading, telekinesis or psychokinesis, which is moving objects with the mind, or precognition or clairvoyance, which is seeing or predicting the future. Extrasensory perception or ESP as a whole has sparked um, quite some significant science debate, but today we want to focus on a bit more on precognition. Sounds good. Tell us about precognition, Liv. So precognition is the idea that you can know information before it's even happened. So like, let's say psychic abilities. So there's actually very, very little scientific evidence for precognition. But I wanted to briefly talk about a paper that came out in 2011. So over 10 years ago now. So precognition is the idea that you might be able to know information before it's even happened or know about events before it's even happened. So this paper in uh, 2011 was published by a researcher named Daryl Bem in a very respected journal, I might say as well. And he claimed to have found evidence that people can be influenced by events or know information before they've even happened. So he essentially said the claim that he found evidence of precognition. Now, there's a method in psychology called priming, where you show participants a list of words and then later ask them to recall as many as possible. And the result most of the time is that participants are able to, they're more likely to recall words that they've previously studied because they've previously been primed to them. So the priming is the cause and the recall is the effect. But in Bem's paper, he found that, well, he reversed this priming procedure. So, for example, participants were asked to recall words from a list and then type a selection of this list after the fact. And he found that they were able to recall words that they would later type that they had no prior knowledge of during the recall part of the study. So from this, he suggested that participants somehow knew in advance what the words were going to be that they were going to encounter in that second half of the study and were able to recall them in advance. It did cause a lot of controversy, and rightly so, in the field, because it contradicts everything that we know about cause and effect. So the priming should be the cause and the recall should be the effect. But he claimed that he found it the other way around. But actually, cause should always come before effects. As I said, there's very little evidence about precognition in the field. And since then, other researchers haven't been able to replicate the findings. This is due to a lot of people are saying like his methodology and his statistical analysis are massively flawed. Um, but this is one of the biggest papers, at least claiming that precognition is a real tangible thing. One of the problems we have in science generally is that to qualify as properly scientific evidence, something has to be able to be replicated. So if you can do it once, that's great. But if you can't do it twice by doing the exact same thing again, then science doesn't actually consider it proven because it's very easy to make a mistake you weren't aware of or have something change the conditions of your experiment. One of the things that's required for a scientific paper to be you know, accepted and incorporated into the canon of the field is that if someone else does exactly the same thing you did, if they follow all the same instructions and use all the same materials you did, they should get the same result. 
that was always drilled into us in university, at least in my degree, that you always had to be so specific about your methods that anyone could just come along and replicate exactly what you did to find the same results. And that's exactly why, because otherwise, how can they prove that you actually achieved what you said you did and you didn't just write that you'd achieved it? Um, but there are a lot of areas of science where there's still difficulty replicating what other people say they've done. So science as a whole, as an overarching entity, wouldn't consider that proven. So there's an interesting paper that I quite like on ESP. It's not about the existence of ESP itself, but it's about whether or not a specific person is likely to believe in ESP. And it talks about the determinants of belief. So there are plenty of people who do believe in ESP. And there are plenty of people who are skeptics, who don't think that ESP exists or is possible. And it seems to be that there are different cognitive styles and motivations related to those beliefs. So people who are more likely to use their intuition rather than their logic, so people who act on things like gut feelings and hunches, are apparently much more likely to believe in ESP than people who follow rules and logic and don't act on the way they feel. People who are more afraid of death are more likely to believe in ESP. I don't know from the paper exactly why that is, but I'd suspect that People who believe in ESP are more likely to believe in a wide range of phenomena like ghosts or life after death or communication with the dead. And people who are afraid to die themselves may be more likely to want to believe that those things are out there. So maybe sort of preconditioned to believe in things like ESP. Most people who believe in ESP think it can be easily reconciled with a rational view of reality, is what the author said. So that they believed that it could fit into a rational worldview, but they weren't necessarily sure that believing in ESP would protect people from the things that they were afraid of, like death. It just might make them feel better about it. The paper also talks a lot about, you know, the costs and benefits of those beliefs. So how does it harm people to believe in ESP, you know, psychologically or practically? How does it benefit them to hold those beliefs? But that's a whole other field and has been studied in a wide variety of things. So there are studies into the harms and benefits of following a specific religion and all sorts of things. So it's a wider discussion. That said, though, there have been a number of challenges, such as the Million Dollar Paranormal Challenge, where they offered a million US dollars to anyone who could demonstrate paranormal abilities under sealed scientific testing conditions. They ran the competition for about 50 years, and there were over a 1,000 applicants, and not one was able to successfully complete the challenge. Nonetheless, belief in ESP is still highly prevalent, and according to the paper, which was published in 2019, about two-thirds of people in the US alone do believe in some form of ESP or psychic phenomenon. You believe in psychics? I don't believe that psychics are psychic. I believe that psychics are extremely good at using specific techniques and observational skills 
to make other people believe they're psychic. So one of those uh, techniques, actually, is this thing called the Barnum effect. Have you ever seen The Greatest Showman? I have not, but I have seen Barnum the musical, and I deeply love it. So I don't know if The Greatest Showman will find a place in my heart after that. So I've not seen Barnum the Musical, but I have seen The Greatest Showman. And it was about the showman, P.T. Barnum. It's not highly accurate and highly representative of um, him as his person and his career. There was quite a dark side to his um, work. And one of those things that um, he was very talented, as he would say, to get gullible people to separate from their money. His words, not mine. Um, the Barnum effect is now actually a theory, a technique in what psychics use. The Barnum effect refers to a person's natural tendencies to believe that vague personality descriptions apply to them. So you could give a group of people the exact same description, a vague description or a set, uh, the same set of statements, which are actually known as Barnum statements, which are really vague. It might say something like, um, I'm a highly empathic person or you like to help others. And if you give a group of people these same statements, most individuals will say that these descriptions are highly accurate depictions of themselves. It's how, um, it's like the same sort of ploy that horoscopes and psychics use to make people think that what they're being told is really unique to them and them alone and can't possibly apply to other people when actually it's just generic information that could apply to anybody. It's also uh, what people use when they're claiming to be mediums or to speak with the dead. They pick a very vague description. And when someone expresses recognition of that very vague description, they work with their observational skills and more vague Barnum statements to narrow it down until the people believe that they're really speaking to a specific long lost relative. Part of that, though, is something we've discussed in previous episodes, which is that people, or certainly a large subset of people, want to believe these things. Love for their relatives, fear of death, a simple desire to know what's out there. And if these people are primed to believe in it, uh, because they believe in psychics or mediums, because they already believe in life after death, or ghosts, or because they've been told that a presence is there, then they experience this expectant attention phenomenon that we spoke about in our first spooky, scary episode about the Loch Ness Monster, where because it's something they expect to see or believe in, it's something that they will see, and therefore their belief will be reinforced. Highly critical people and analytical thinkers are actually more likely to look for alternative explanations of these sorts of phenomena, such as ghosts. So do you believe in ghosts, Liv? <laughs> my my non-scientific belief is that, yes, I do. Personally, I think because as humans, we only see a very tiny portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. But as a scientist and a critical thinker, I also know that there are rational explanations for many paranormal encounters, though I still do believe in ghosts. I will still hold my belief on that. It's really interesting to have a believer and a skeptic on the same science podcast, isn't it? The thing is, is I know there are rational explanations, but I still do believe in them. But I think that goes back to just wanting to believe in something more, like that's outside of us. So tell us about ghosts, Liv, and what makes people believe in them. 
So as I said before, I believe in ghosts because I, you know, we see such a small part of the electromagnetic spectrum. But being exposed to certain electromagnetic frequencies is actually one of the many hypotheses in sensing paranormal activity. But the one that I'm more clued up on and want to talk about today is agency detection. So as humans, we have this evolutionary mechanism called agency detection. So let's say you're walking down the street alone at night and you hear a sound behind you. Immediately, your senses and your attention are going to be heightened and they're going to hone in on the environment around you and where that sound came from, as if there's someone who might be there who might be a threat. If it ends up just being, let's say, a cat knocking over a bin or um, the wind blowing something over, it's fine. You've overreacted, but you're safe. But if you don't activate your agency detection mechanism and the threat is actually real, then you can end up in real danger. So evolutionary speaking, erring on the side of caution in a threatening or ambiguous situation is always best to keep you safe and alive. And research has shown that reports of supernatural encounters are actually more likely to happen in this type of setting. So you're more likely to like sense a presence or see a ghost that's linked to this agency detection mechanism in kind of a threatening, spooky environment. Because this mechanism is supposed to keep you safe and therefore you're on this like high alert and you can then attribute that to sensing a presence that actually isn't there. Gotcha. So already feeling like you need to be aware of every small sound, movement and signal predisposes you to both seeing or hearing those signals and interpreting them. So that's interesting because it kind of ties into one of the theories I've seen behind observing ghosts and apparitions and other presences, which is pareidolia. So our brains process things in a top-down way, which means that they pick out the most important things in an environment or observation first, and then they fill in the gaps. It's the reason that we see shapes in clouds, and it's also the reason that we fill in gaps in patterns or don't see the blind spots in our eyes. But it means that our brains are preconditioned to see patterns, especially the patterns that are either the most likely or the most important. And anything that could be a danger is considered one of the most important things for our evolutionary brains because they want us to stay alive. And anything that's the most likely would be something like a contemporary, so one of our peers or members of our social group. So... In the case of humans, that translates to something might not be human, but if it has a pattern that's vaguely human-like, our brains are more likely to interpret it as human. Similarly, if it has a pattern that's more danger-like, our brains are more likely to interpret it as a danger, even if it isn't really one. And there's kind of a flip side to this phenomenon, which is inattentional blindness. So sometimes you don't see things that really are there because your brain has dismissed them or decided they're not important or is simply prioritizing other things. Many of you might have seen the meme video that went around online where you were supposed to, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's something like count the number of times a basketball bounces and so on and so forth. And then at the end of the video, they ask if you've seen the gorilla that wanders through the basketball court. And most people haven't. That's inattentional blindness. You've been told the important thing to watch is the basketball. So you're watching the basketball and you completely don't notice the gorilla. We watched that video in our psychology class and we were all 
completely shocked at the fact that we hadn't noticed this gorilla because then when you watch it the second time around you're like that was so obvious yeah it's right there but you are focusing your brain on the thing that's most important to the task at hand which in this case is counting the basketball dribbles or whatever it is but inattentional blindness is kind of the flip side you're not seeing things that are there instead of seeing things that aren't but similarly it does tie into observations of things such as ghosts because you're quite likely to observe an effect. For instance, that a door has closed that you could have sworn you left open. But because it wasn't important at the time, you didn't notice someone walking past and pushing it shut. So you have no explanation for how the door shut apparently on its own. But in fact, what's happened is your brain didn't bother to track the input of the real reason the door is shut. Going back to the pareidolia, it's not actually just visual stimuli that people try to find patterns in and can see faces in. We also naturally try to find meaning in random sounds as well. So if if you've ever watched those ghost hunter shows and they have like those voice recorders and they you hear like crackling and they're like, oh, so-and-so's trying to talk to us. Do you hear that voice? That's another instance. It's just auditory pareidolia where we try to find meaning and patterns in random sounds, but there's actually nothing, no no meaning to it. Another theory or explanation for seeing paranormal activity and, and encountering ghosts is actually sleep paralysis. Now, I've never, and touch wood, have never experienced sleep paralysis before, and I hope I never do, but it's the feeling of you're awake, you're awake in your bed, but you're paralyzed, you can't move and you can't sleep. And it happens when you're moving between stages of wakefulness and sleep. And people tend to see hallucinations in these stages as well, right? Like night terrors. People have reported things like uh, black shadows and dark people and things sitting on their chest. Yeah, so it's, it's not exactly clear why it happens, but it's thought to happen when people are either going into or coming out of REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep. And that happens when we dream or we dream in this stage of sleep. So during REM, your muscles are paralyzed, your brain paralyzes your muscles. So you don't move about while you're dreaming. So during sleep paralysis, it's thought that you're awake, but your brain still thinks that you're in REM sleep. So your muscles are still paralyzed. Sleep paralysis is often, as you said, accompanied by hallucinations like sleep demons or feeling suffocated or feeling like you're in danger. And it can be that your brain doesn't entirely realize that you're awake and your dreams can sort of start to come into your reality a bit. But again, you can't move. So it's of course, it's going to be terrifying. You can't speak, you can't scream, you can't try and get yourself out of danger. And now we understand what this is because science But back in, you know, there's reports of this centuries ago where people would think that they had been visited by aliens or a demon had come into their home in the middle of the night because they didn't have a scientific explanation. So this is where some early encounters of ghosts come from. That makes sense. So if your brain is seeing dream images and your body is in a dream state, so unable to move on its own, and everyone has woken up from a nightmare and heard themselves thinking they were screaming loudly, but they're actually just going, ah, ah, because everything is dampened down when you're in REM sleep. So if you're aware of being in that state, but not consciously understanding that you're in it or why you're in it, 
that would absolutely terrify you. The other thing that, of course, people wouldn't have understood back in the very olden days is the idea of electromagnetic fields, electromagnetic field disturbances. So there are plenty of hypotheses around simply disturbing electromagnetic fields and that having an effect on the human brain, which of course also runs on electromagnetism. So causing wayward signals and things like that, that people interpret as hallucinations, again, through expectant attention, pareidolia, pattern recognition. And there's a theory about infrasound, isn't there? Sound that's too low for humans to actually hear, but that the frequency, which I believe you told me is around 19 hertz, is so low that it actually causes the human eyeball to vibrate, which then generates a form of optical illusion. Have I got that right? Yeah, and this is something that, unlike many other ghostly encounters and ESPs, you can actually induce this in scientific experiments. You can put people in a room and cause the sound to go as low as 19 hertz, and you can measure the fact that people are starting to see illusions and hallucinations. But the problem is with, as I said, a lot of these things is that people report very different experiences of paranormal encounters. There's no actual definition and consensus of what a quote unquote ghost is. So it's really difficult to replicate these encounters or even just study them in a controlled environment to prove whether they're real or not. That makes sense. And part of the problem is, too, that it's very difficult to create a fully controlled environment when you're talking about brain phenomena, because brains will do what they want. So they don't always act the same from one time to the next, which makes replication hard. And sometimes they recognize thing A, and sometimes they recognize thing B, even though both were present all along. It can be really tricky to get objective reports of the human brain. So much respect for anyone who studies psychology, because it's such a tricky discipline to pin down from a scientific perspective. It is. And you can get objective evidence. It's just with this topic in particular, a lot of the evidence is subjective. It's still data at the end of the day, but it's so hard to induce this or do it in a controlled setting. But this is all making me very much miss uh, studying psychology and being at university. Well, we'll have to do more episodes on psychology then, won't we? Absolutely, because we've not even got round to out-of-body experiences. So I think we're going to need to leave that to another episode, um, which hopefully listeners can look forward to. Definitely. Out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences... We can talk about all sorts of things, why our brains do them, why we think they may or may not be possible. Thank goodness that we have someone who has psychology experience on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, this was fun because it was like, oh, yay, it's my niche. <laughs> but I think you're right, Liv. I think we'll have to leave it there. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, keep an eye out for any spooky encounters. And join us next week where we're talking to Catherine Howe all about witches and the Salem witch trials. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, or both. Thank you for listening to After School Science Club, hosted by Liv Gaskell and Mick Schubert, with music by Sam Watts.
I'm Liv, and you can find me on Instagram at sciencewithliv. And I'm Mick, and you can find me at mickschubert.com, as well as a variety of other places. You can also email us at scyclubpodcast at gmail.com. That's S-C-I club podcast at gmail.com. So get in touch if you have any burning questions or if you want to suggest a cool topic for us to discuss in a future episode. Uh, Thanks, and we'll see you next episode. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.